There we fucking go, get it, get the rhythm, get the rhythm, there we go, there we fucking go, get it, get the rhythm, get the rhythm, there we go, there we fucking go, get it, get the rhythm, get the rhythm, there we go, there we fucking go. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War Show, yes. Ray. Yes. Just trying to think. Trying to think of you've been away so long. I can't even remember my nicknames yeah. for you. I, what are my nick? Remind uh, me of all my nicknames for you, Ray. What are they? Papa Bear, Big D. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, that's not one. No. Mister Reach Around. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's just Doctor yeah. Love. speaking of rhythm yeah the united states didn't have any when it came to korea in the early stages i pass it over to you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, nice segue there well not really not really i tried so in our last episode, uh, we we started getting into the background mm-hmm. of uh, the separation of Korea into North and South at the end of World War II. It was really just a temporary situation yeah. uh, to divide the country, which had been occupied by the Japanese for decades, between the U.S. and the Soviets. So they were going to the U.S. were going to clean out. The, the southern part of it, the, the right. Soviets were going to clean out the northern part of it. Damn right. And they were all convinced this is going to, this is going to be fine. This is all going to go it's good. very, very smoothly. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> <clears throat> now, um, the Pentagon, up until uh, 1945, had really shown no strategic interest Right. In Korea, in yeah. fact, they were of a, a fairly consistent opinion. Whenever the subject of Korea came up over cocktails, yeah, that uh, it was of no long-term strategic interest to the United States. Right at Potsdam, that was Potsdam, June, I think, June, July, June. I'm going with June you 1945. You should. Um, this, this is for reminder, and so you don't have to go back and listen to our. <laughs> 24 episodes on Yalta and the 10 episodes on Potsdam. This was, uh, Potsdam was the first conference of Churchill, uh, Stalin and Truman after mm-hmm. FDR died. Right. Um, and then I think in the middle of it, uh, Churchill lost the election and yes. he got, got replaced. Awkward. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, at, at Potsdam, uh, the Americans expressed the view that they were pretty happy to just let the Russians worry about getting the Japanese out of Korea and Manchuria. Right. And for people that are geographically challenged, Manchuria is now what we think of as like the northeastern section of China. Right. But Korea was far more important to Stalin, as was Manchuria, for obvious reasons. Uh, He wanted to win back the territory that the Russians had lost to the Japanese in the 1905 war. Right. Why Why was sort of the, this Manchuria-Korean territory strategically important to Superman, right? <laughs> well, one of the, the major reasons is not only was um, that on the eastern side of uh, Europe, you know, you can call that Asia if you want, but uh, basically they had no warm water ports, so not only could you have a warm water port if you had Korea, Manchuria had very developed rail lines going through it that would lead to Korea, and also you, there would be a lot of warm water ports in Korea. So this was economically, militarily, strategically important to the Russians, and, and the czars, even before Stalin, had been eyeing Korea for quite some time. Yes, yeah. So this gets back to this whole idea of warm water ports and... Uh, about money, baby. G- g- money. Well, it's about survival. It's not just yeah. about money. For the, Ru- for the Russians, it's about survival. Right. They, they want to get uh, you know, the ability to do shipping. They yeah. want the ability to, to, to export and import 
And, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know if it's career as much as Dalian, Port Arthur, right. Dalian, uh, which too. is sort of, um, oh, I mean, how to the I north come of up with, Korea. Yeah. Well, it's to the west of Korea, right. really. Sorry. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I know, I, I know that where you come from, toilets <laughs> flush the opposite direction, but I think my toilets are correct. <laughs> Your toilets, sir, are wrong. Yeah, yeah. I haven't come up with, you know, I'm, I'm famous for coming up with uh, yes. ways of visualizing geography. Yeah. My favorite one um, was the woman spreading her legs, but please continue. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, they were the rivers right. of uh, Mesopotamia. Um, well, if you think about, so if you, if you imagine China, and uh, South Korea juts, oh, well, Korea juts out of China. Um, it's sort of like a letter S tacked on, a, a badly written badly. letter S, like something that Fox <laughs> would write. Um, letter S just stuck on the right. tip the sort of eastern tip of uh, China yeah. juts out into the sea. Just uh, Japan's just off the just just, just off hanging. the coast of it. Right. Japan right. J- Japan is to Korea like New Zealand is to Australia. Right. It's just like right uh, an, af- an afterthought. <clears throat> um, and then uh, Dalian, where the port is that the Russians wanted to get access to again, is just to the west of uh, Korea on on the Chinese mainland. Uh, it's in the. It's not the. It's not the South China Sea. It's. I looked at. I. I did. Ah, oh, goddamn. What's it called? It's the Sea of something. Come on, Google Maps. To oh, the Bohai Bay. Bohai Bay mm-hmm. and the sea. No, the Bohai Sea. Yeah, the Bohai Sea. This is a little Bohai sea has that it. comes in there. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then below that's the Yellow Sea. Uh, which sounds fairly like a racist name to me. Pretty sure, pretty sure Churchill came up with that one. I think we'll call it the slanty-eyed sea. They go, no, no, Sir, Prime Minister. We talked about Sir, this. Prime, we've talked. You can't. Well, we'll just call it the nigger sea. Well, you call it this other one, the nigger sea. No, at least get your racism correct. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Correct racism is better than incorrect racism. That's what I was I don't. Yeah. The political correctness of this age befuddles my mind. <laughs> anyway, that's my geography lesson for the day. <laughs> did you get it? I did. There we fucking go. Okay, get it. Get the uh, rhythm. Uh, get the rhythm. Uh, there we go. There uh, we fucking go. Uh, get it. Get the uh, rhythm. Get the rhythm. Uh, there we go. Uh, there we fucking go. Uh, get it. Get the rhythm. Get the rhythm. There we go. There we fucking go. Get um, so, yeah, so they, they wanted access to the ports. But after the U.S. bombed the fuck out of Japan, which, by the way, was the anniversary of uh, this week. Uh, oh, yes. How many years is that? Uh, my man, no, 2019, my, uh, 1945, so be five, 55, 65, 74 years. Wow. Does that sound right? Yeah. 74 yeah, because, years ago yeah, this week. Yeah. Mm, or yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Well, D-Day was the 75th anniversary, and that was in 44. So, yeah. Seven, 74 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. History math. 70... It's a new thing we created. <laughs> <laughs> Did we? I don't, Did we, though? I don't know. Yeah. At least we don't have to carry a zero a t- like this with, with, fucking with Julius Caesar. zeros. Yeah. The, um, after the U.S. bombed Japan, all of a sudden... They changed their mind and they wanted in on Korea. Right. Um, now the war looked like it was probably over. They were like, "Oh well, it's it's lying there. Yeah. We can have it. Yeah. Let's take it." It's like everything's a, up for grabs. Dr- a passed out drunk girl. No, that's wrong. Let me tell you why that's wrong. Oh. That's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Twenty four. Twenty four hours after the bombing of Nagasaki, the State War Navy Coordinating Committee of the United States suddenly announced they wanted in on Korea. Yes. So up, up until that point, up until the bombing of Nagasaki, Nothing. the Americans had been, uh, oh, Russia, you do Korea. Could yeah. you do Korea? You take Korea. Just take Korea. Yeah. They didn't give a fuck up until then. They were like, yeah, you have it all. Well, take it all. We don't care. I, no interest whatsoever. All of a sudden they were right. like, oh, oh, wait, <laughs> wait, forgot. No. Yeah. Sorry, change their mind. We want, we want half, <laughs> halfsies. 
Going halvesies on Korea. <laughs> well, I, this might be going a little too far with the Captain Obvious, but obviously the vast majority of the Americans did not know about the atomic bomb. So they're, the, the military, the American military complex is thinking, you know what? We're going to have to invade the home islands of Japan. We're going to lose a ton of men. It's going to cost a ton of money. And so Russia, you take Korea, you take Manchuria, and we know you're going to bleed for it. And we really do appreciate it. You're going to lose tens of thousands of men, but we're going to lose tens of thousands of men over here in, in Japan. The atomic bomb comes along. And, I, and so now obviously we're not going to lose all those men and spend all this time and money. So we're like, you know, shouldn't we at least deny some of Korea to the Russians. I mean, why give it? Why give it all away on the first date? Let's at least take part of it and deny it because they are our allies, but they're not like us. We don't really trust them, so let's take at least half. I'll feel better about that. So the Americans, yeah, I don't like, the Americans were dealing. I don't like, what? Go ahead. I don't like <laughs> perpetuating this idea that people at that stage still thought they were going to have to invade Japan. Mm. I think it's. It's pretty clear that by Potsdam, uh, it was pretty clear that Japan was trying to get the fuck out of the war. Um, and as soon as Russia declared that there well, wasn't a treaty, well, well, it wasn't a treaty. I always forget what we call it. It was just uh, a, a, a proclamation. A, what was the declaration? Mm, whatever Nazi. the thing they had with Japan, a non non compete oh, oh, clause sorry, they yeah. had with Japan. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that the, the, as soon as the Russians declared that it was that it was uh, they were jumping in, that the Japanese were going to bail. I agree with that, and it's only been recently that the Americans had the ability to step off their ego and say that yes, Japan did give up because the Russians were coming in. But I'm talking about back then in 1945. <sighs> but that's just my no. But people people knew off. that in 1945. They knew. I mean, it's very clear. We've We've been through this. Do we need to go back and do another 20 episodes no. on the no. bombing of Japan, Ray? No. I hear a whole Jesus bunch of people Ray. say, no. <laughs> no, but the point, but you're, but you're right. They go from not caring about Korea to the idea of literally, why give up the whole thing? Let's at least take part of it for ourselves. And they noted, just uh, looking at a map, that the 38th parallel ran pretty much smack bang in the middle of the country. And they were like, listen. Listen, this is just too good. Yeah, uh, we'll a take, good we'll take, right? We'll, <laughs> we'll take the south. You take the north. You take the high you road, and I'll take the, the low road, road, and I'll get to see all before. <laughs> Uh, But there were other advantages. Yes, go ahead. Yes. So south of the 38th parallel, the bit the Americans wanted was the best bit. Yeah. Uh, Like like the French did in Vietnam, uh, the US were like, well, look, we'll take the bit that has the best agriculture and the best light industry and more than half the population, and you can have the other bit. (laughs) The remainder. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. I believe it's the Assistant Secretary of State, Dean Rusk, goes, you know what? This is just us putting, writing something down on a piece of paper with an idea. We're going to send it to the Russians, but there is absolutely no reason for them to take this. There is nothing we can do to make them accept it. And if they want to, because they're already in Manchuria, they can have the entire Korean Peninsula locked up with communist troops, Soviet troops standing on it before we could even get the first GI there. So this is our idea. Let's hope they go with it. But we really have no idea what the Russians, we have no idea what Stalin is going to do about this. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I just accept it. I'm not outraged. (laughs) So (laughs) about, uh, it was almost a month before the Americans could land in South Korea, but Stalin agreed yeah. to their deal. Yeah. And the credit? Red Army... Does he get credit the for The Red Army... No, he doesn't get credit for shit. <laughs> the only people who give Stalin credit for anything are people who like big, hairy mustaches, and they're like, Ooh, yeah. yeah, the man... Say what you want about Stalin, but the man could grow yeah. a mow. Oh, oh, can he grow oh, a mo? Right. Oh, and that withered arm um, that's hot. Sorry, go ahead. What? He had a withered arm? He had an arm that was hurt. It got run over by a carriage, I think, and it was always in his pocket. Anyway, I digress. 
Look it up sometime. Oh, that's not why it was in his pocket. He, just <laughs> cut. he was happy to see me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Hello, yeah. Ray. Oh, oh. Um, anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, the, he halted. He, his, the Red Army got to the 38th parallel yeah. oh, good. a month before the Americans could even land, and they, they halted. Yeah. They, he stuck to the agreement. Right. Mr. Yosef sticks to his word, Stalin, they called him back in those days. <laughs> now, according to Max Hastings, Boris Johnson's old boss, right. if, if Moscow had declined the American plan and occupied all of Korea... America would have been able to do fuck right. all about it. Right. Unless they wanted to nuke the exactly. place. Or nuke other places. Um, there was nothing that they could have done, and it would have become a huge diplomatic issue. But it wasn't really a big deal. They were worried about what to do with Japan yeah. and Germany and who was going to control China uh, you know, the whole Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong thing was was heating yes. up in 1945. Yeah. Korea, even though the Americans decided they wanted to go halvesies on it, still wasn't really a big ticket item on anyone's agenda. But as I said, it made it was a lot more important to Stalin because it had practical, strategic... Um, yeah. uh, influence on his ability to get shit in and out of his country and survive, yeah. right? It was a survival imperative there. We need warm water ports. To do that, we need to get through Manchuria, probably across the top of Korea and down to the ports of uh, the uh, slanty-eyed sea. No, no. But sorry, yellow sea. Right. No, but but just and again, not to uh, <clears throat> not to beat this or anything, but Stalin is like, okay, I will accept half because let's be honest, it's more than I thought I was gonna get because I didn't know you were gonna drop these atomic bombs so quick. So he bright he breathes a sigh of relief, the Americans breathe a sigh of relief, but at the same time, like you said, this is not that important to them because they both have priorities elsewhere. We've got Japan, they he's got Eastern Europe, but it's going to change over time for a lot of different things. And what's gonna be ironic about all of this is that there wasn't as much communication. There's no trust, let's be honest, but there wasn't as much communication as there could have been between these two about Korea. There's a lot of assumptions made, and there's going to be a lot of local players that we're going to get into. So this was just something that happened to work out for both sides, and they weren't that vested in, in, in it. But that's going to change over the next couple of years. And we have to remember, too, that, that Russia shares a border with North Korea. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it... yeah. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's a it's a taint. They got a little taint down there. If you go, I said North Korea was an S at the very tippy top of the S. The tip, yeah. Uh, it's basically where Vladivostok is. Mm-hmm. So you you know they in the, uh, sort of uh, on the Sea of Japan there. So they they share a taint, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I know you've shared a lot of taints in right. your time, Ray. Uh, when well, you share a taint with someone, it's important. Uh, Show respect. You, you know, you, you yeah, yeah. You uh, it, it, it all of a sudden takes on a whole new level of uh, meaning. Yes, to the whole thing. <laughs> you care about it a lot more than somebody who lives a million fucking miles away, right, right there, uh, like the Americans did. Exactly. Yeah, right across the fucking Pacific. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, the whole Korean issue, a lot more local. And important to Stalin than it was to the Americans. Yeah. But in October 1945, the Americans created an 11-man Korean advisory council. Mm-hmm. Now, supposedly the membership of their council was representative of the South Korean political spectrum. Mm-hmm. But in reality, 10 of them <laughs> had swastikas and only one... <laughs> Did it? Uh, ten of them were on the right, and right. one of them, only one guy out of the eleven-man Korean advisory council, uh, was on the left. This was uh, Yo Un Hyong. Mm-hmm. Now he initially declined to have anything to do with the council. He said that the very creation of an advisory council by a foreign country, yeah, Dex reverses the fact of who is guest and who is host in Korea. He's not wrong. 
Yeah. But, but he eventually gave in to John Hodge, the US uh, military governor of South Korea. Right. Uh, went, went, uh, turned up to the first session, walked in, took a look around the room, <laughs> spun around you. and went, <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so, don't think and so. walked out. Yeah, no. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important to, to, to note a couple of things. This guy, yo, like ho, and even though we're not going to go into his life, this guy talked to Trotsky, he talked to Lenin, he joined um, um, Chiang Kai-shek's Nationalist Party. He was willing to talk to and work with anybody of any political, religious stripe that could help him free Korea. So this this is his main drive here. And you're right, he walks in and 10 of the uh, the guys besides him are, um, are ultra-conservatives. He just knows it's not going to work out. But here's the thing. These guys aren't just conservatives. They're not just like American Republicans or whatever. The Japanese for a very long time have absolutely hated communism. The Americans fear communism. Japan hates communism. And because Japan has controlled the Korean Peninsula for decades, they've instilled this in a lot of those people. So those 10 men are pro-Japanese. They've learned from them and they absolutely are extremist nationalists. And there's just no way that they're going to be um, making decisions that's best for Korea. They're going to do it for based on what they've learned from the from the Japanese. And so Yo is walking and going, there is no way that we could possibly agree on anything. And he's right to walk out. But the problem is the Americans are like, well, these nationalists, they're helpful and they're nice and they're professional and they know things. And all you're doing is bitching about Korean independence. Fuck you. And so he kind of shoots himself in, the, in his own foot, but he's being honest about the situation that he sees in front of him. He shot himself in his own foot, and two years later, he was shot, shot by yeah. a guy, God, <laughs> a guy yeah. called Han Chigun. He was assassinated two years later. Um, so anyway, uh, the um, 11th nominated member then was a well-known nationalist named Cho Man Sik, Mm-hmm. who had been working in the North. He never even bothered to show up. Now, he had been in Korea fighting the Japanese occupation during the entire occupation. Yes. He was known as the Gandhi of Korea Aww. because of his policy of nonviolence. Right. Cho, Cho Man Sik. Yeah. Now, at this time, he was the most popular leader in Pyongyang. And he was actually the Soviet Union's first choice to run yeah. North Korea. Uh, but he told them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Explain this to me. How many times have you said, and I said, Ho would, Ho Chi Minh would talk to anybody. He would be very nice. He would be very pleasant, whether he was talking or playing tennis or swimming. But the point is he tried to work things out. All these Koreans are like, I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear, even though I really need your help. Go fuck yourself. I mean, we're going to see this time and time again. These people are like so committed and so passionate to reuniting their country. They're not willing to play the game like some other people are, like Ho. But again, they're I guess they're just being true to their cause, but it's not helping them very much because everybody else around them is more powerful than they are. But they don't seem to give a fuck. Yeah, well, I guess they just figured that They'd been fucked around long enough, and mm. um, maybe yeah. well, maybe they had. Like, I guess the difference is um, we know that Vietnam had been occupied forever. You know, as uh, you quoted, I think on last week's show, um, hosted. You know, when the Chinese <laughs> came, they had they controlled us for a thousand years. Right. The French have been here for a hundred years. Yeah. Um, we'll get rid of them. Um, so. The Vietnamese were sort of used to being occupied. I mean, it, it's, I guess it's a bit like the Native Americans or the 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 Indigenous Australians probably feel at this juncture, like, fuck this thing. That's right. When, when are you guys going? You, you said, you said, hey, can I, can I come and crash in your cash for a week? And now you're married to my daughter. You seem to, yeah, what the fuck? Now you seem to think you own the fucking place. Uh, um, but I, uh, but yeah. the, the Koreans, on the other hand, right. Had had their independence forever. Good point. They wanted. I back. mean, they had. They, they had a tight relationship with China, right. but they had had their independence until the Japanese came. So it's it's a it's a more recent feeling uh, um, of uh, this fervent anger 
at foreign interference in their country. So I think they're a lot more strident right. about it. Like, we got this. We, like, <laughs> we, we ran our own fucking country for a thousand years. We don't need you. Fuck off. Fuck off leave us alone. <laughs> we know this. Right. Japanese were only here for, like, 50 years. We can handle this. <laughs> Just fuck right off. <laughs> We'll be fine. <laughs> we don't need you to hold our hands like we're a bunch of children. Right. Whereas the Vietnamese, I think, um, you know, been a long time. Oh, yeah. and, and But also just personality. Like Ho was a, a master right. uh, politician, negotiator, infinite yeah. patience, um, as you said in the last episode. Anyway, so, yeah, Cho, uh, the Soviets wanted Cho to run North Korea. He told them to go fuck themselves. He, he, didn't like, he didn't like communism, but he also just didn't like foreign influence, full stop. Set up his own political party, the Democratic Party of Korea. Um, and so the Soviets went, hmm, who else we got? Uh, Looking look around. Like, hey, you, and, Choi. Yeah. <laughs> Choi? Choi. Choi Young-kun. Ah, I don't want to uh, jump uh, ahead. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. No, well, jump ahead. Yeah, so, jump right, jump right in there. So, Get in there. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. So uh, yeah, so the Soviets. So he, so the thing for me is Cho was doing pretty well. Um, he was there with his nonviolence, and he's pre- he's preaching nationalism, and he's allowed to set up the Provisional People's uh, Committee for the five provinces. And that's when then the Soviets come in to North Korea, and they're like, "We want you to be the leader." You, he tells them to fuck off. So um, on November third, like you were saying, he sets up his own political party. So the Soviets are not happy. So they look around. They're like, "We haven't got time for this." Obviously, he's not our man. So they they eye this other guy, Choi Young Kun, who's elected the first deputy chairman of the party. Now, it probably didn't hurt that he was a friend of Kim Il-sung that we'll get into a little bit. But they're going to find out, even though they picked Choi, they try to work with him. He's just not the man for the job. Maybe it's political skills. Maybe it's his people skills. He can't make speeches. Who knows? But the point is, even though they try to use him as a front, it's not really working out. So eventually, the Soviet eyes are going to start swinging back to Kim Il-sung. But the point is, Cho is kicked out. Um, and, and for the little bit that he's there, he and Kim are banging heads right out of the, uh, right out of the gate. And then when the four power trustee is announced in 1945 by the Moscow conference, Cho says he won't go along with that. And so the Soviets have had enough on January 5th, 1946, Cho is arrested by the Soviets and which is going to allow Kim to consolidate his power in the Northern half of Korea. And at first Cho is treated well. He even is allowed to run in the 1948 vice presidential election, but he gets like six votes. So obviously his career is over. Then he is sent to a prison in Pyongyang and he is not heard from ever again. Now, Kim, uh, so let's get into Kim. He, he uh, had been in the Soviet army for 10 years. Um, so he was well known to mm-hmm. the Soviets. So the um, so we'll get into Kim Il Sung in a second, but the, the, this advisory council that the US set up down in the south was also doomed from the outset. Um, as you said, that the chairman of that had been a member of the Japanese advisory body, um, was a big supporter of the Japanese war effort. Yeah. Um, so the Americans are just going, well, (laughs) we don't want to work too hard here. Let's just grab the guys that were collaborationists with the Japanese and they can collaborationist with us. Yeah. Once a collaborationist, always a collaborationist. They're professionals. In my book. Yeah. Yeah. They know how to take orders from foreign powers. (laughs) They're the guys we want. You're my guys. But of Um, course this pisses off the locals. No, so let's talk about Kim. So, uh, born in 1912 to a family that he said wasn't poor, but wasn't far from being poor, was born Kim Song-ju, was raised in a Presbyterian family. Mm -hmm. His his, uh, grandfather on his mother's side was a Protestant minister. Um, His father had gone to a missionary school, was an elder in the Presbyterian church. His parents were very religious, very active in the religious community. Right. So that's that's something that surprised me. I never thought of the Kims as being uber-Christian fundamentalists. (laughs) No, but I I think... 
the rest of the story we're going to tell about Kim, we should probably lead off with something like, according to Kim, because of the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the cult of personality wrapped around him, we don't know it's true. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he did came, come from a religious background, which was very surprising to me. And let's be honest, it, it didn't take. So we'll see what happens. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Um, so apparently, the, according to the official version, um, Kim's family was very active in the anti-Japanese activities uh, early on after the Japanese occupation. Right. And in 1920 or thereabouts, they fled to Manchuria. Hmm. Um, they also may have relocated there to escape a famine that was going on. Maybe both of those things are true. Right. But it does seem that his father was involved in anti-Japanese activities. And then in 1926, mm-hmm. aged only 14... Don't fuck around. Kim Il-sung founded the Down With Imperialism Union, or the DIU. Not to be confused with the DUI. Uh, you've had a few of those recently. Uh, I know. couple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you just, you know, the cop pulls you over and says, listen, uh, there's a fine, you, you, you're drunk, and you go, listen, I'm going to be drunk driving every night for the next month. <laughs> Could so I start a tab? Can we just get this? Yeah. Yeah, just get <laughs> I'll just send you a check once. A- come on, come on. What's your excuse for drinking while driving, Mr. Harris? You say I'm a podcaster. And he's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it then. I feel sorry for yeah. you. Move along. Nothing oh, to yeah, see here. On your way. Yeah. <laughs> the DIU, the Down with Imperialism Union, uh, to fight against the the Japanese and to promote. Eventually, right? Wasn't I? Don't think it was this way initially, but eventually, uh, it was to promote Marxism. Now. Do you believe this story that he started this when he was 14 or do you think this is where we start to get into propaganda? I, I, I mean, I mean, I didn't grow up um, being oppressed, so I don't really know <laughs> right. what it's like. But that's, right. that's yeah, I know when I was 14, I, the only thing that was oppressing me was my attempts to get get some pussy. Yeah. That was yeah. the only thing that I was being oppressed by. Well, I, um, what about you? I was thinking that the Down With Imperialism Union, that's kind of a corny title. title. Maybe that was created by a 14-year-old, but I think uh, we should take this with a grain of salt that he somehow, even at that young age, was determined to end, you know, imperialist Japanese uh, control and, and make the people free. So it might either partially be true, but uh, it's it's a bit of a stretch for a 14-year-old. But then again, I don't, well, I don't he, know him. Well, his father was an anti-Japanese activist, and at the same age, uh, 14, um, Kim did join a military academy. Mm-hmm. So maybe joining a military, like a military academy is sort of the kind of place where, you know, you, Radic- you, you, yeah. you might... You know, you develop these sorts of ideas. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Dear let's... Dear diary, let's, let's pro- I've created the Down with Imperialism <laughs> Union. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> Can't wait to tell Mom more, more tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know. I hope Mary will like me now. Uh, Second base, here I come. Um, yeah. <laughs> he left... He left the military academy after a year and attended middle school in China. Now, this is apparently where he became interested in communism. Ah, and yeah. his his education came to a sort of rapid conclusion <laughs> when the police arrested him. That'll happen. That'll do and it. jailed him yes. for subversive activities. Yeah. I think he was held in jail for a couple of months. Does that sound right? Uh, d- yes, three months three, okay. at the age. Yeah, uh, at the age of around seventeen. Damn, he was arrested, jailed for three months, and became the youngest member of an underground Marxist organization. I'm impressed. Okay, if it's true, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. I mean, judging on you know, the next few decades of his life, he was obviously uh, uh, an activist. So, yeah, yeah. sure. Give it I to mean, him. You can get. Yeah. Get started young. Yeah. Then uh, in 1931, a couple of years later, he joined the Communist Party of China. Ooh. Now, the Communist Party of Korea had been founded a few years earlier, 1925, but had been thrown out of the Comintern in the early 1930s for being too nationalist. Yeah, I can see that. 
Well, I think we saw this, you know, remember back when we were talking about Ho, um, Stalin had his doubts about Ho, right. whether or not he was a communist or a nationalist. Uh, you know, the, they were very wary of people claiming to be communists just to get the, uh, a communist card, yeah. and so they got all the great benefits that came <clears throat> with that. Um, you know, Medical you got the you, dental. You, you got the yeah, you got the cap with the star on it. Weapons. You got the yeah. the, the green uh, fatigues right. uh, with the hammer and sickle. <laughs> uh, free dental. Yeah. Um, all, of, all of this kind of yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. Uh, so they 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 you know to to be part of uh, uh, international communism, the common turn. You had to sign up to uh, a program, basically be uh, led by the Soviets with their right. vision yes. for international communism, that was the price. Um, uh, rather than just being worried about your own country and fuck everybody right. else. I just want my country. So, <laughs> Communist Party of Korea, the CPK, had been kicked out of the Comintern. So he joins the Communist Party of China, joins various anti-Japanese guerrilla groups in northern China. And when the Japanese took control of Manchuria in 1931, mm. he got involved in guerrilla activities fighting them, became a member of something called the Northeast Anti-Japanese United Army mm. or the Najwa. <laughs> um, it was a guerrilla group right. led by the communists in China. Yeah. The Najwa. <laughs> Watch out. And that is where he met the man who would become his mentor as a communist, Wai Zengmin, mm-hmm. who was his immediate superior officer. Tell me about Wai Zengmin. <laughs> I dare you. Mm-hmm. Double dog dare you. Just, just you know, I, well, and again, <laughs> I'm just assuming. I'm not trying to be a dead. I have no fucking idea. Yeah, Okay. Uh, well, yeah, Wei, Wei Zengmin was, he reported directly to Kang Sheng, who was a very high-ranking Communist Party member, very close to Mao Zedong. Right. So basically, uh, from this point on, Kim has a direct line through to Mao. Ooh. Now, in 1935, he took the name Kim Il-sung, which means Kim become the son. Oh. Uh, it was it was a suggestion that Barry and Stan came up with. They were saying, "Listen, um, you, need- <laughs> you know, yeah, listen, if uh, it's time, in a new phase it's in time your life, for you- right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you don't want to be too modest about this. Like uh, you said, what about I become a tree? Go, well, no, go for it. No, no, aim no, higher. Yeah, we'll, we'll become a moon. No, mm, no, just, just become you know." Yeah. Fucking son. Kim become the son. That's what Kim Il-sung <laughs> means. And he was appointed commander of the 6th Division of this uh, Najwa in 1937 at the age of 24. Damn. Had a few hundred men under his control. His group captured a small Japanese-held town just within the Korean border. Mm-hmm. Only held it for a few hours, but Still. it was considered a great victory. Right. And it made him pretty famous amongst the Chinese communist guerrillas. And he appeared on Japanese wanted lists as the tiger. Ooh. So as you can imagine with the um, Chinese, excuse me, the Japanese chasing him, he's going to have to eventually go to the USSR where he's going to be officially trained as a guerrilla fighter. So he was the real deal. I'm sure he's, he, by the time he was older, he was probably insane with all the lies. But when he was younger, he was, he seemed to be a man of action, a, a natural leader. And, um, he was taking advantage of that and he was willing to let the Soviets train him even to a higher level. So this young man is, is doing great things and he's, you know, I'm sure he's looking to do great things further further on in his life, and there will be opportunities presented to him. Now, just by way of comparison, meanwhile, mm-hmm. Sigmund Rhee is living in Honolulu. Right. Not exactly the sipping, same. Yeah. Sipping Mai Tais, well, feet up, on the beach. You've got to watch the sunburn, though. If you, don't put, if you don't apply, I mean, it has its dangers. Just different. I actually have a clip, Uh-oh. I think, here of um, Singman Reed at the time. <laughs> I 
speaking of great mustaches, <laughs> uh, I don't oh, know if you know that oh, Sigmund Rhee that at one. the time, right? Oh, did he? He had a big furry, big furry caterpillar. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, God, that that theme song makes me so happy, man. That's like an <laughs> like an orgasm in my brain when I hear that. I don't know why. Orgasm through my ear. So, yeah, good so, times, early eighties. What good times? Oh, it was the best. So you were talking about him having a direct link to Macedon. The only thing better than that is having someone who knows Stalin. So when the USS war, uh, USSR declares war on Japan on August 8th, the Red Army enters Pyongyang later that month, and Stalin is going, you know, this is going to work out for us. So he goes to Barry and he goes, look, I need you to recommend a communist leader for that part of Korea that can help us. And as far as um, I could tell with the notes, Beria is going to recommend this young, dynamic, um, experienced fighting man to Stalin. I think he's our guy. But before that... Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, in 1940, the Japanese kidnapped a woman called Kim Hai Sun, who was believed to have been Kim Il Sung's first wife. They oh, used her shit. as a hostage oh. to try and convince the Korean guerrillas to surrender. Right, uh, and they they said we don't negotiate with terrorists <laughs> or Japanese, and so she was killed. Oh, his first wife was. Killed, kidnapped and killed by the Japanese. Um, Kim was appointed commander of the second operational region of the First Army. um, And by the end of 1940, he had done such a good job that he was the only First Army leader still alive. That's impressive and important. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what happened was he was being pursued by Japanese troops and he and, and what remained of his army escaped by crossing into the Soviet Union. Ah, That's okay. how he ended up in the Soviet Union. And, yes, that's when he was trained by the Soviets in guerrilla warfare. In August of 1942, he and the rest of his army were sort of created a special unit that belonged to the Soviet Red Army. His immediate superior at the time was Zhao Beizong, who was the commander of the 88th Special Brigade in the Soviet Red Army. And that's when Kim became a major in the Soviet Red Army and served in it until the end of World War II. And that as you said, is when they were looking around for someone uh, and Lavrenti Beria, Mm -hmm. um, our (laughs) favourite rapist, (laughs) Stalin's flower man, Stalin's favourite rapist. (laughs) The guy, the one guy Stalin wouldn't let be in a room with his daughter. Yeah, no. uh, recommended yeah. recommended yeah. Kim to Stalin. Yeah. Met with Kim a few times first, and then recommended him to Stalin. Yeah. Now, look, and, and I want to make this point again. We sort of brushed over it with the Magnum PI thing, but um, this entire period, Kim Il Sung has been fighting the Japanese occupation. He's on mm-hmm. the front lines. He's a soldier. He's a lost guerrilla. His wife. Yeah, lost his wife to the, like his first wife got kidnapped and used as a bargaining tool and then killed by the Japanese. This is fucking real right. for him. Like this yeah. is this is uh, uh, he's been on the front lines for yeah. decades fighting the Japanese while Singman Rhee <laughs> has been living in the United States and Hawaii for most of the time. Went to Harvard. He did spend a little yeah. bit of time in China, right. but he, he he wasn't a soldier. He was a priest. He was yes. a minister. He ran religious congregations, Ooh. was on the tit, um, <laughs> basically taking it easy. Uh, so right. I, I think that's a, it's an important distinction to make here. One of these guys, the guy who ends up running North Korea, is a soldier. Uh, yeah. The guy who ends up running South Korea is a politician. Um, and a yeah. With no experience, by the way, really, and and as I said in the last episode, when he um, you know, ended up as the president of the shadow government, they kicked him out. He was <laughs> impeached, yeah, for abuse yeah. of power. 
So there's big differences. Uh, like set aside everything you think you know about Kim Il Sung, um, the guy was a he was a soldier. Now uh, I, I want to hasten to add, uh, as we said a lot of times, Ho Chi Minh wasn't a soldier. That's true. So Singman Rhee is more like Ho Chi Minh, uh, you know, sort of, what would you say, a, a politician, a bureaucrat, a diplomat, a thinker, a strategist, Statesman, maybe? Yeah. Statesman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a better word. Yeah. Better word. Whereas uh, Kim is more of a, he's a Fidel Castro, man. He's been out there running guerrilla armies and yeah. fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So... Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, so I, I won't go too far. But so when Kim reaches Korea on September 19th, um, he had been away from Korea for like 26 years, I believe. And like Trump, he wasn't very good at his na- native language, uh, needed help making speeches and relearning the language, uh, that kind of thing. So um, so he's got the goods. He's just got to polish himself on the edges so he can actually be presented to the people. But as far as his bona fides, this guy is the real deal. Yeah, most of his education was in Chinese. He apparently, before he gave his first speech, they had to give him some training in Korean, right. uh, get him up to speed. Uh, But in December of 1945, the Soviets installed him as the chairman of the North Korean branch of the Korean Communist Party, Mm. which apparently was now accepted again, now that the Soviets were in control of it. But the guy who was really running North Korea was General Terentii Shtaikov. Nice name. He's the John Hodge of North (laughs) Korea. Shtaikov. (laughs) Shtaikov. I feel like I want to say that to Sean Connery. General Shaikov, Shaikov, we meet again. And you're right, it's this general that picks Kim to be the Provisional People's Committee, uh, to lead the Provisional People's Committee for North Korea. Um, He was born in 1907. In 1929, he joins the Communist Party around Leningrad. And during World War II, he's the commissar for several fronts, in Leningrad, and if you know anything about the siege of Leningrad, where it gets horrible and these people are blocked for years and they actually have to re- revert to a cannibalism, this guy saw some cra- crazy shit. Uh, so he's a political commissar as well. He is a good fighter. He is a good politician. He's crafty and he's able to survive the war. And so when the Japanese forces surrender uh, in North Korea on August 19th, 1945. He's actually there to be a part of that. So this guy has seen a lot. He has done a lot. And he is Stalin's eyes, ears, and if need be, his hands in North Korea. Yeah, this guy, Shtaikov, is the actual architect of the North Korean state. Kim mm. was the front man right. as the Korean Right, but and it's the same in the South. You know, you've yeah. got the Americans are really running the South. They're just putting Singman Rhee up as the face of it. Right. Shtaikov is the guy running the North. The original 1948 North Korean Constitution was primarily written by Shtaikov <laughs> and Stalin in right. Moscow. Wow. Um, and and you know they, they basically sat down, um, drafted it together, and put it into place. Damn. The Democratic People's Republic of Korea, the DPRK, that is still around today. Um, it's my, it's, you know, my classic go-to when people say, "Well, the Nazis were socialists." It's right there in the name, the National Socialist Party. <laughs> right. I go, yes, and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea is democratic. <laughs> sure. They're like, okay. no, no, no. The DPRK was proclaimed uh, after the Soviet withdrew their forces Ooh. in 1948 and Shtaikov was named the first Soviet ambassador to the DPRK. Right. Good career. So he's really the guy who uh, instituted the land reform program up there in 1946, although Kim Il-sung officially gets the credit for it. It was really Shtaikov. Right. Um, this was the, the Soviet plan to compensate, originally, their plan was to compensate the large landowners and sell the land to the farmers. Sounds but, uh Yeah. Well, look, that that was often the way that um, communists tried to do it. Yeah. Uh, they were, you know, and I think we talked about this back when I did the um, 
the Castro um, obits, right. if you recall. You know, when Castro took control of Cuba, he went to all of the American corporations, uh, Big Banana, et cetera, that controlled everything, uh, that controlled the, the, the agriculture industry and, and um, the, what's the name of the fucking banana? They were... They were Le Quit. Um, yeah, them, them guys. Yeah. yeah. Quit, I don't know what they're called now. Fuck, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But, but he approached them. Yeah. He approached all the American corporations that, that ran Cuba and he said, listen, we want to buy your assets from you, but we don't have any cash because Batista took it all. Right. So give us, give us terms. We'll pay you back with interest over 20 years. And they were like, fuck you and your commie money. We don't want it. You can't. We're not selling. And eventually he said, well, we'll have to take it then because we, we need infrastructure to feed our people. Um, yeah. and, and we need the phones and the power and all that kind of stuff. So if you won't sell it to us, we'll take it. And then the Americans went, look, he stole all of our stuff. Jeez. Uh, sort of the same, except uh, you know, the original plan for North Korea was to, to buy the land from the landowners. Um, but then eventually Steikov suggested they just confiscate the land from the big landowners, the Japanese collaborators, and distribute it to the poor people of North Korea, mm-hmm. which is what they did. I don't, I don't know exactly what happened. I think uh, they probably had some grief from the large landowners who didn't want to sell. Which I'm sure. the way this goes down. Yeah. Um, this has been in our family for uh, hundreds of years. We don't want to give it up. And they're like, well, sorry. Yeah, it's, um, it's called a revolution. It's so yeah, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. yeah. We, we don't give a shit. <laughs> Which um, <laughs> yeah, you're the landed gentry. You don't get to be your feudal social economic structure <laughs> right. is no longer valid. Because I, I have a gun and you don't. So thank you. No, but and I'm sure we're going to go into this later. But but you made the comparison between Kim and Re, and it, and, it, and that's going to play out in a lot of different ways. The 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 Soviets up north were sometimes pretty brutal. Not that Re wasn't. We're going to go into that later. But the point is, they very quickly had a system up and running with Kim at the head of it. They were taking care of the land reforms. They were trying to take care of the taxes, getting food and education, all the stuff we've kind of mentioned before. Whereas Re, even though he's not really in charge as the Americans, there's not a lot of that going down uh, on South because the Americans haven't taken the time to learn anything about Korea. They don't know anything about the, the people, the language, the culture. So they're going to, besides getting a few things right, they're going to fuck up a lot. Re's not going to help because he's, I don't know if he's a sociopath or whatever, but the, the, the Soviets are really trying to do a decent job for these people. The Americans, again, are just floundering with their policies. They don't really have one. They just kind of react when something happens. And so it, it, should have, it should have been something where the Americans were just doing a lot better job of taking care of the locals than the Soviets, but that wasn't the case. And so they, they are right to be concerned that communism is generally more popular on this peninsula because they're doing a better job. Yeah, and, and even this land reform seems to have happened with very little bloodshed. The rich landowners and, and the former Japanese collaborators when, once they figured out the jig was up, they just yeah. moved south. It's going to happen. They fled down to yeah. the south. Yeah. Um, so they were able to uh, execute a lot of this stuff with very little uh, trouble and bloodshed. Now, Steikov was fairly sympathetic to Kim's desires to liberate the south. And I, I think it's important to understand, like we, we hear that North Korea invaded the south. Mm-hmm. But... You've got to understand, from a Korean perspective in 1950, the, the North and South were artificial. There, there was no North and South. It was just Korea. The, right. the whole division along the 38th parallel only came into place in 1945, and it was an artificial you know, uh, pencil line drawn in there by the Americans and the Russians, just in terms of um, uh, splitting, yeah. splitting the administration, the, the attempts right. to get the Japanese out. From a Korean perspective, it was just one country. Yeah. So the North didn't really invade the South. They just moved their forces down to the southern part of their country um, to, to really kick out the Americans, um, to try and reunify 
their country because it was one country. It was supposed to be one country. They were, you know, I can imagine if somebody came along and just drew a line through the middle of Australia and said, well, that's it. You have two countries now. Right. Uh, actually, Australians would go, yeah, all right, let's go fishing. Like, fucking, <laughs> well, we could, we could have a revolution. They go, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's too hot. It, 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 might, it might interrupt the flow of beer um, <laughs> for a week. Can't well, have that. Walking by. Yeah. 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 Let's just, let's just go fishing. It'll be yeah. fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It'll work something. It'll work itself out. Don't worry about it. Now, I know we got, we got to end the show soon and I know we're going to go into this later, but everything you just said just sent my American programming wacky. Just absolutely wacky. I'm not saying you're wrong, but the way the, for lack of a better word, war or aggression started out, um, you can easily see how the Americans and how the non-communist South Koreans would go, we are being invaded. But you're right. I mean, the mentality for the vast majority of Koreans was we're united. We want to be together and we want to be independent, get the fuck out, which is obviously not going to happen. And so, but I, but when you when you say that even today even with everything i've just read it still just goes against what i've been told as the quote unquote truth you know growing up high school middle school college or whatever and so i'm sure a lot of koreans did see that way and i'm sure when kim was coming down he was very uh, accepted and popular with a lot of the communists in south korea they just didn't have any of the power because you had the americans and you had the re government watching over everybody jailing people shooting people um, so they probably had to keep quiet about it, but we'll get into all that on the next episode. No, that sounds like third grade level work to me. <laughs> Double standard, baby. I almost choked. Okay. Well, um, yeah, but keep in mind mm-hmm. that when the Moscow conference happened in 1945 and they said, all right, we're going to draw a line down the middle of it to get rid of the Japanese – we're going to reunify the country. Right. What time frame did they talk about reunifying the country in? Was that before the five years or was that the five years? About five years. Okay. What's, what, what's five years after 1945? <laughs> 1950. But let me give you the American spin. Once you have American troops on South Korean soil, the country cannot, cannot be united as a communist country. It just can't. We, 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 we lost China. We're going to get into this. It cannot. Yeah, but it, and as we'll get into in the next episode, um, it wasn't just Kim that wanted to reunify the country. Syngman Rhee did as well, and he wanted to do it militarily. Yes. Um, and the Americans knew that. Right. So this wasn't a one-way deal. They both wanted to invade the other half. But again, it's not... It's this not... They didn't invade a separate country. In the mind of Koreans in 1950, as That's I said true. before... That's true. That's true. This is our... This is just one country. It's time to get rid of the artificial division... And, you know, the North wanted to get rid of the American invaders. The Americans wanted to get rid of, sorry, the the South Koreans wanted to get rid of the Russian invaders in their mind. It was just like, listen, fuck off and just let us have our country back. Thank you very much. Right. But one, the way they were trying to go about it, and two, and I just think this is hilarious that we're going to go into later, the Americans so didn't trust Reed that when they left in 1949, they made sure he didn't have tanks large guns or airplanes. It was bad enough that he had small arms because we're going to see what kind of leader he was in the next episode, but they didn't trust him. Whereas Kim had everything, the most modern, everything that Stalin can give him. But it's just the, it's just the way that they tried to go about uniting the country through war. But that's, you know, that's for the next episode. (laughs) I swear to God, man, I swear to God. Descended across the continent. I want a 
immediate military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to...